This is Just Winging It, people. We are here, live. Live from the red carpet of the Oscars. <laughs> but I mean, when you hear this, it won't commentary. be live. Why do people say the live thing when they're not? I mean, I guess they're live at, in a moment in time. They're alive. They are alive as well. And you can't Speaking take that of away which, from them, John. I'm John Abdullah, and I'm, I'm fully alive. Patrick Green, and I am non-living. <laughs> not dead, though. No, you're not. No, I'm like a rock. You're like a rock. That Wait, was a really isn't, cool... Um, isn't a rock dead? No, it's non-living. You don't remember this whole unit in biology in no, sixth I don't. grade? But what were you just going to oh say? Well, I was going to talk about that unit in biology in sixth grade, which I still to this day Clearly. find fascinating. That's something I think about a lot, actually. There are dead and there are living yeah. objects, and then there are non-living objects oh, that are Is neither. this some kind of earth-crunchy thing? Earthy-crunchy? Well, think about it. I mean, there are things in this world that you cannot... They, they don't undergo cell division, they don't undergo death, and they don't undergo life. Okay, fine. They simply exist. Fine. And they're not manufactured. They're part of the natural world. Yeah, but the stuff that's manufactured also would fit into this category. See, I don't think it does. I think that's just synthetic. So you think there's a fourth category? I think it's the fourth cat. I think we just discovered the fourth category, John. <laughs> I think this show is paving the way wow. for science. It's pretty amazing. It is Before pretty amazing. we go way off the rails, yeah. will you please share with our audience uh, your ballet? The program please. note. We've Take been teasing this for uh, maybe literally a year. And you dropped a promo code for the event without... People even probably people didn't even know what the hell you're talking. I did, about. and also the credits music was playing over it, which you know. Oh yeah, thanks editor. <laughs> um, so so once I don't again, even listen. I just honestly I place it all in the like, same spot. There's a minute then, left. Here yeah. goes the fucking song. That that honestly is what I do. <laughs> um, so uh, so so yeah, so so one last time, I wrote a ballet with my good friend Tobin Anderson, M.T. Anderson, and it is premiering. On March 10th, which is coming up soon, very soon, and it's written specifically to speak to children. And to, and to families. It's for the family concert for the 50th anniversary of Boston Music Aviva, which is one of the top new music groups in the country. And, um, and, it, was, and it was written to be an allegory to speak to kids about fear. So um, as sort of a, you know, a last-ditch attempt to get you know, millions of our listeners in the audience for this event, and also just to sort of share with you the program notes, because I haven't gotten to read this to you yet, um, here's some notes on the piece. And, uh, and again, the promo code is green, with an E on the end, it's my name, at bmv.org slash march. So bmv.org slash March and promo code green, and you get 50% off. That's how much we love you. Only 50%. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's still a lot. Hey, that's glass half empty, In glass half full. In the world of promo codes. That's a shitload. That's just about as good as you're going to get. I had to beg and plead for this thing. I did. I had to I had to hold them at gunpoint, actually. Right? It's, you know, that's how much we love you. Is, all is. million of you. So when you write a piece of music, a lot of the time for the... Um, the actual program that you get, you know, uh, the composer will write like a, a program note that kind of goes through some of the basics mm-hmm. of the idea, kind of like a little bit of the backstory. So I, I wanted to read mine here because this is a good way to sort of, you know, we're not going to do a full episode on the ballet, even though I've been talking about it so much. I feel like it, it's a good idea to kind of give you guys like sort of a little bit of insight into what it is, what I've been doing, what I've been uh, blabbing about. So here's the program note. Okay. <clears throat> before there was the Drudagon, before there was a story, before there was music, before dancers had costumes or choreography... There was a walk in the woods. I'd driven up into the wilds of northern Vermont to spend a couple of days with M.T. Anderson and his devastatingly adorable dog, LaRue. M.T. and I had decided upon a few of the basics beforehand. This thing was going to function as a useful allegory for dealing with fear. It was going to be composed for the 50th anniversary season of Boston Music Aviva. And it was going to be directed and choreographed by Denise Cesare of the Northeast School of Ballet. 
MT, who goes by Tobin, but don't tell him I told you that, suggested we head out to one of LaRue's favorite favorite hiking trails, a vast windswept plain overlooking a valley studded with the skeletons of ancient apple trees. And somewhere along this walk, an idea took shape. What would happen to a close-knit community if they became convinced a mythical beast was just beyond the forest edge? By the time we got back to Tobin's house, which is haunted, but that's a story for another time, we had an outline. It actually is haunted, by the way. That's a... I'm not joking about that. I want to hear that someday. Yeah, well, yeah well, I'll, I'll get to it. A few months later, he sent me a draft, and by the time the snows thawed and the apple trees sloughed off their iced coats... Sloughed. Sloughed. I was already deep into the music. So, why did we want to write about fear? The short answer is because I'm hopelessly incompetent. The slightly longer answer is because I'm hopelessly incompetent at explaining certain things to my children. And one thing I love to explain to them, but I'm never quite sure how to, is why so many adults are afraid of each other. Why so many people on TV are yelling at one another. Why so many disputes are settled with violence. Why so many systems in this world are clearly set up to be unfair. And why no one seems to do anything to fix them. But our sons are five and two. And no self-respecting five-year-old or two-year-old is going to sit there and get lectured on the geopolitics of paranoia for 20 minutes. And they shouldn't have to. That's our burden. And it'll be there for them to take up when they're older. So I wanted them to have an allegory they could take with them as they grow. And this story, straight from the brilliant mind of M.T. Anderson and the absurdly creative artistic spirit of Denise Cessary, is an allegory I'm very proud to have been a part of. Uh, There's another part of the story I haven't mentioned, though. Richard Pittman and Boston Musica Viva. Dick was one of the first people to champion my music, and his support has been literally life-changing for me. Watching a musician of his skill and experience conducting my music still gives me goosebumps. He's dogged, he's humble, and he's one of the great musical artists I've ever known. And it's not just Dick. Executive Director Robert Pape is a close friend and an extraordinary arts administrator, and the musicians, some of whom I've worked with since I was a conservatory student, approach every piece with such joy and alacrity that you almost forget they're some of the best technical interpreters of new music on the planet. And lastly, my wife, Micah, is at the very center of this piece. Not only has she been a constant support through the creative process, but her warmth and humanity, her love, has suffused every note of this thing. The Drudagon is dedicated to our sons, Jude and Henry. It's okay to be afraid. It's what you do next that counts. All right. That's the end. I'm excited. Yeah, thanks. I I really Bam. am. I'm, uh, this is... Um... I'm hoping it's everything that you just grace, promised right? there, because then I can actually have an allegory to explain fear to her. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a small You're doing goal, a solid you know? for all parents yeah, right. attending this. Well, because I was thinking, you know, because the kids hear all this stuff, you know, in their playgroups and at school, um, and, and like, you know, I mean, you should, like, they talk about, like, Trump in kindergarten, you yeah, know, because yeah. people's parents are talking about this stuff, and then they come to school and they're having arguments about this shit, and they're, like, ostracizing people who they think have a different, you know, political background than them, and it's it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Like, we've talked to his teacher about it. We're like, you know, are, are these conversations, like, really... Because, ha- like, they talk about, like, assassinating political figures. Oh, like, these God. children, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, there's there's too much fear in this world that's going unchecked and unanalyzed, uh, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's right. kind of eating away at us. So the whole point was to sort of give a little fairy tale that would speak to the modern world in a way, even though it's a, it's a universal theme that's been around forever. Hopefully, um, you know, through, like, the lens of this ballet, we can at least give a few kids in the audience something that they'll remember as they get older. You know? Yeah. So that's that. All right. Well, make sure you mark it on your calendars and sign up. March 10th, bitches. It's 3 o'clock. It's at BU. Um, and it's my birthday, so come out and hang out afterwards because uh, we're going to go probably more get some eat. Yeah, bring your kids. Um, so uh, back to shits and farts. Oh, and pukes. And pukes. I've got one of those. Oh, you do? Mm. Well, why don't you go first? Well, I mean, 
I I think that I shortchanged you in your com- in your talk about. Uh, I mean, uh, per- honestly, I was just like blown away by your sound effects. <gasps> so I just yeah, I couldn't actually yeah. focus on the puke part of your story. We're pretty good, but I now can relate in more. Um, I have more empathy. I'll say it that way. Congratulations. Because I really do believe that uh, one of the very worst parts of parenting is cleaning up puke. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Uh, I would say it's not only cleaning up puke. It's when you don't realize that you haven't gotten all of it. Oh, and then a month man. goes by in the car and you fucking open that door so, up. <clears throat> that's my story. It's the yeah. car. And it's that cleanup. It's always the car. So we this one came totally unexpectedly. I guess pukes often do. But, you know, some of them you expect, right? I mean, if you have or you get eating, some sound disorder or something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I meant usually it's a surprise. Well, I meant more so. You know, your kid's sick and and it's part you have of like, like a heads a, up. Yeah, yeah, like it's coming. Mm-hmm. Like hold on. Yeah. Well, with Grace, she often for a while she had been um, most of her throw ups have happened in the car, and thankfully, you know, knock on wood here, we haven't had the kids really get many stomach bugs. It's more so um, that she used to get uh, what's the word motion sick in the car. Oh yeah, right. And so we'd go for a longer car ride and she'd like start complaining and um, it was just, a, it was a really tough thing. You know, we had it happen several times and it would always happen just when you're about to arrive. Like there was one time where she was going, uh, it was for like the specialist to check her ear and we just got in there and I was like running a little late. I was like five to 10 minutes late for the appointment as it is. Had to find a parking spot in a garage and I get in there and she just fucking barfs. Oh my God. And all I- All out warfare. All out warfare. Yeah, she had a big breakfast, strawberries, and it was just oh, everywhere. Strong. That's and one looks like blood. Oh man, it's the worst. Um, and so, so anyway, we were kind of out of that phase for a while. And sometimes she occasionally will still say like, "Oh, my stomach hurts when we're driving," and we have like a bucket already there, you know, to prepare um, in case the worst happens. But it hasn't happened in a while. And so we were on our way to a birthday party the other day. We're driving along, and again, almost there. Um, just pulling into the parking lot and all of a sudden I heard a sound from Grace and it was like, it didn't, it didn't sound immediately like a puke sound. It was more just like, like a little, like Like, a little, so it was like, not even that. It was more like a, like Like, it could have been clear in her throat kind of thing. (laughs) That was a little deep, a little low, yeah, yeah. when she does have a low voice. I'm going to (laughs) barf. And and then it it came out a little bit more of the you know you know the sound of barf coming through your nose. Oh god, I fucking hate that yeah. feeling. Yeah. So and at that point, like Bethany and I were in the front and we were just pulling in and we were still like unable to actually get to her in time to prevent it from just going everywhere. Oh my god. And so we pull in, and you know it's a birthday party at a little gym place, so like they've only got it booked for a certain time period, so we mm-hmm. want to get in there and enjoy it. And I knew that Grace wasn't sick. I knew that it was just the motion sickness again, because on the car ride there, she was starting to complain again. And like, so other even than on that, a short car ride, it was only yeah, it was only like twenty. It was maybe a half hour. Um, that's, a, that's pretty 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 long for a, for yeah. a birthday party. This is like family. This is a family. Birthday no, party? it was a daycare. A friend from daycare. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So so immediately we we go into like the cleanup crew mode. Okay. Bethany, I say, you know, you just change her and you can take her in with Luke and I'll stay in the car and deal with this. You know, I was like the wolf in uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, <laughs> um, the cleanup clean crew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it didn't feel as glamorous uh, as glamorous as cleaning up. Brains, yeah, not really glamorous brains in a car. Yeah. But I mean, but it's they, a great scene. Well, and they made it pretty glamorous with, you know, with him. 
Uh, I guess he wasn't really the person cleaning it up. He just got people to do it and all that. And, and that you know, there's a whole industry that's that's exists because of that movie. Did you know <laughs> I that? I, is, it's real. I'm like, not there, at all there are, there's a This American Life episode about this. Yeah, I believe it. There are people it. who make a living just cleaning up from Holy accidents shit, I need and to call decompose bodies and shit. Yeah, we should just you think get we them could on use speak. them as parents. I mean, wouldn't that be great? I yeah. would if there were like a, a quickly mobilized task force. If you get to that birthday party and you're like, okay, Grace feels fine now. She's over this shit. Yeah. We have a change of clothes. I don't want to fucking scrub the car seat for an hour. Let's just call the, you know, the the barf buddies. It's like, right? you know, it's going to be the same guy who's like driving a lift, you know, and he's like, he doesn't have any rides. <laughs> yeah. So he just flips the lift yeah. thing off and he's like, all right. Barf buddies. Yeah, it's exactly. got a brown barf sign. Buddy. Brown and green. Uh-huh. Lift, and when it pulls Uber, up, it goes, barf buddy. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good idea. We should, we should do it. Barf buds. I mean, somebody else would start it. Barf buds. I'd call, I'd, I'd pay good money for that. Um, because as I said. I would pay, I would pay $15. I'd pay $14.99. That's really all you would pay. I pay fourteen ninety. Yeah, because if it's if it's just barf, I mean, just barf. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. First of all, I knew that I wasn't gonna like do the full cleanup because we were out. All I had to work with was wipes and some napkins and well, my that's part glove of it box. You never prepared for this. You gotta always have a, a glove box full of napkins, right? That's <laughs> right. And, and, and when you run out and you haven't replenished them, oh my god, hold on to your shit. Right. Yeah. So every anytime I go to a Dunkin' Donuts or something, I'm yeah, just gonna too. grab yeah, you know, a bunch I of those. For those. I think that's okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, definitely. They let's fucking die. They don't care. They don't give a shit. Uh, they're biodegradable, right? Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with it, but. Completely not, non-comedogenic. Yeah. So, and they also don't do anything to pick up. They have like zero absorbency. <laughs> yeah, they're just pieces <laughs> of paper. I know. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so anyway, so I'm cleaning it up with those and wipes and I know that I can, I just need to do a good enough job that when I get back to my car, we don't all pass out or puke. Um, well, it's still going to smell. I know that. But I also know that I want to go in and enjoy the party, too. So I'm just going to do enough to, like, be able to, you know, have Grace sit in the seat after. Well, because it's also weird at a certain point. If, if, if it's like, oh, where's John? Oh, he's, he's still in the car. It's been 26 right. minutes. Like, was yeah. he just an idiot? Like, and I didn't want to go in and be like, hey, guys, just clean it up some puke. And you just walk in, your shirt's got barf all over yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And like, oh, here comes barf boy. <laughs> oh, man, and the smell. That's the thing. The, it's it's the, the, that's acidic, the... that weird, sweet. Ugh. Necrotic smell. It's so bad. God, it's fucking gross. It just makes you sick. I should have put up a disclaimer on this episode before we people start listening, because <laughs> um, we're gonna get even more into it. But anyway, that's true. So the yeah. other thing is, it all depends on what they ate too. You know, so like some stuff is worse than others, and in particular, I have come to hate. And it seems to always happen when after Grace eats this, uh, she, it's often in the morning, and we'll go on a car ride, and she always pukes this up, and it's steel cut oats. <laughs> steel cut oats so we've in the process of having was kids was that from baby led weaning yeah <laughs> is that where that came from I purpose I steel cut them myself <laughs> yeah right um, <laughs> no it's just it's like one of these many things where we've tried to instead of using just regular oatmeal um, apparently Yo, I fucking love steel cut oats yeah no they're not only are they they got those cool the cool graphic design on the labels looks from like 1870 <laughs> yeah exactly right? the cans of it are still from 1870 yeah. Yeah, what is up with that I love that but it's actually it's healthier because it's the full oat, I guess, and rather than the other ones, which are like chopped up. And I don't, I don't understand the full. Honestly, I just buy it because of the steel. I think it sounds yeah. cool. It, it does sound very cool. Yeah, it sounds like a robot cut. But it's healthier, so we do it, and uh, it, that's fine. But they're like little, little, almost like rice, you know, pieces, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so when they vomit it, it's all intact as those little rice pieces, right. and they're fucking everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't, you can't, like, I, it's impossible to pick up every single one, which is why we need to call the barf buddies. Yeah. Um, well, they would have specialized tools for it. Absolutely. Right? Right? So the other problem was that we just got this new car seat for Grace because we had transitioned yeah. Luke into a new one. 
And then I got this like it was actually before Toys R Us closed, and I got it for like you know fifty percent off or something. <laughs> Those were the day that like week before it was right? totally done. I got so much random crazy. Shit. That was amazing. Yeah, you just I was bought like, everything. finally the prices here are like yeah. reasonable. Yeah, like, yeah, no wonder you went out of business. Exactly. Holy shit. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we bought. I bought a couple of these. Uh, you know, one for each car, and it's like an it's like a transformer thing. You know, where it, it is actually it, is it like a seat seat or is it a booster? Them. Okay, it's, it okay. starts as a convertible seat, mm-hmm. and it goes all the way to like you know till they're eighty five years old, right? <laughs> the wheelchair, yeah. yeah. When you need the booster again, I guess I don't know. Yeah, you never know. No, you don't. So it's nice because we have one, and it'll work for the rest of her life. Um, but it, so it's brand new, and it's like all clean and everything. That's what she fucking pukes into. So when we get home, um, you know, get the kids back into the house. Bethany's with them, and uh, somehow I don't. I just I'm thinking about this division of labor. I'm not loving it that I had to do the. Why you were in the car twice. again? Yeah, classic barf boy. I'm yeah, you. barf boy. Classic barf. So I, so I, I spent probably the next twenty four hours outside cleaning this car seat, and you have to like, you know, it's a transformer one, so there's so many parts to it. That's the thing, the crevices, the crevices, the crevices and taking the fabric off those you. things. Yes, the fabric. Holy shit! And it gets on the underside somehow. I'm like, how did one explosive event? Oh my god! It's, it's like the everywhere. Shits. <laughs> How does it do that? Like, why is it that you clean the shit and there's nothing in the butt actually itself? It's just all <laughs> over their legs and under the ball sack. It's so true. And it's the same thing with uh, with vomiting in car seats. It's like in the weirdest. I'm like, yeah. I didn't even know that there was a hole in this part of the car. But like, you have to get it. And then I'm like, have we not been attaching this right? Like, why is there a clear opening here? Right. With like, uh, like a seatbelt logo next to it. And I'm like. But if you don't get every goddamn speck of steel cut out, it's going to stink in your car. And it will stink it like nausea. Because it it's literally. We are predisposed to have a vomit reflex to yes, that smell. That's right? right. It literally, like, biologically is made to make us hate it. Right. 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 So, like, it, you can get all of it, but that one seal cut out. Yeah. And that one part of the seat you didn't know existed. And like you said, you also, back. you know, the barf boys, the benefit of hiring them is that they have the tools to do it, right? So I'm I'm looking at the light. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, that would be helpful, actually. So I've got all these crevices I've got to try to clean and all that. I'm using a wet vac. I'm using, you know, a rag and some method. You, you actually um, have a wet vac? I do, yeah. Oh, nice. oh, man. It's such a. It was. I think I had a Sears gift card a while ago and I used it. It was How one of the best those? things I've bought. Oh, it was, it was like 40 bucks or something. Okay, in my head, they're like hundreds of dollars. No. Okay. They're awesome. I would highly recommend it. I just leave it in my garage. And Is it shaped like R2? Yes. Yeah, usually they have the kind of the tube. It's the, the best. Like, the big bucket shape. Yeah. yeah, and you can clean up puke with it. I like that. Um, and you save all that money of using car wash uh, vacuums, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was using that, and then I, I was cleaning out there for so long that I started, like, I was just so bored that I started to, <laughs> I started to find different tools, and for some reason in my mind, this is just immediately where it went, I started to anthropomorphize the tools that I was using to clean the thing. To be fair, you've been in the presence of toxic chemicals for a long time. <laughs> you were hallucinating. A combination of vomit and all the toxic chemicals I'm using, you, were, you know? were the car doors open during this, oh, or were you man. just you were sealed no, in like I a took sarcophagus? No, I took the car seat out of the car. I okay, cleaned up, okay. I cleaned my whole car. I'm picturing you locked into the car inside, with it running for some reason. <laughs> In the garage. In the garage like, with the garage door closed. <laughs> oh man! So I literally, when I went to, I was looking for a tool that was small enough because it had to go into this little screw hole that uh, a uh, steel cutout got into, and I could not fucking get this one steel cutout out of it. And so I'm, I'm reaching for like a different tool to try to find one that could be the right shape to go into it. And I was thinking of all of them, you know, like almost like Toy Story esque, where they all have little personalities, and they're all like, no. Nah! 
don't take me. You're Sid experimenting with them at this yeah. point. Yeah. And so I grab, you know, I, I first I try like a, um, uh, what's it called? A screwdriver to see if that fits in. And I can just imagine the poor little guy, you know, going in there into head first into the puke, like, <laughs> right. oh, no! <laughs> and then, uh, and then finally, you know, he didn't work. So he just did sigh of relief. And then I grab a pen and that's what I had to use. And I'll just fucking throw the pen away after. I don't even care because yeah. I needed something that reaches into that perfect You don't thing. want that thing coming back. Yeah. And that pen thought he was safe. You know? Oh, the pen had no idea what had was coming. Had no to idea it. what was coming. And so I used that and I was able to just wedge it right in there and fucking eject the little. And that pen is like, I was designed in a factory far away yep. to write great ideas on paper. Right? And I'm fucking getting shoved into a hole by an <laughs> idiot getting carbon monoxide poisoning, <laughs> trying to get a steel cut barfoat uh-huh. out of a car seat. Steel cut barfoat. So, you know, the, the puke thing, it really sucks. That's all. That does really suck. My brief puke update is, uh, as you can remember from our last episode, which we recorded yeah. last Wednesday, uh, I was in the midst of a conflagration of barf going through the family. So, <laughs> yes. so Jude had had it, you know, for a day while I was in L.A. And then Henry got it right when I came back and he famously vomited all over us in the morning, yeah. famously. I still have the sound in my brain. <laughs> yes. It was disgusting. And then Micah got it really bad, so I actually oh, had to no, take a sick Micah. day on Friday to take care because she was super sick and the kids were still getting over it. Ugh. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to like be the lone functioning member of this family but today. But of course, you know that you're going to be surrounded by germs. And I, I just, I was like, this is just a matter. Of, uh, it's it's going to matter of time. And also, like, you have a whole week watching the effects of this firsthand. Yep. Like, you know, this is not just like a cold. Oh. This is fucking trench warfare. Yep. And you were getting ready to go to battle, right? <laughs> yes. And I know it's coming, but it was Jude's half birthday on Friday. And because I'm crazy, <laughs> we had to celebrate half it. Birthday. Yeah, so we got him a half birthday cake. I couldn't even tell you what my kids' half birthdays are. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, he loved it. Did it was, you get him cute. a half cake? Yeah, we had a half cake in the morning. That's awesome. And then, uh, and then, how the do you plan, buy such a thing? I just got two quarter cakes and put them together. You can buy quarter cakes. Yeah, you can get sli- oh. they, they call oh, them no. slices, but they're like fat slices. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like the chub- chubby slices. Yeah, we got chubby slices out. Chub slices. We got chubby ankled. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like, you know, so Mike and I had had this plan for a while. We were yeah. going to surprise him with a fun spot trip because we haven't been there since. Well, I guess it's only been a month. But yeah, you know, I was going to say it's it hasn't been that long. <laughs> it feels like it. So we like had this thing planned. We we had already booked the the cabin, you know, for the yeah. night. It was just a one night trip. It was going to be quick. We we're going to come back the next day. But we uh, wanted to basically like be like we wanted to time it out so that it would be you know after my work day. So he would be kind of tired, and so would Henry. And they would kind of just take a nap in the car, and we'd say we were just going to go to the gym, right? We'd go to an errand, and then they'd wake up and we'd be there. And so that happened. And it was amazing. Like we we get to New Hampshire and they wake up and they're like, whoa! And Jude's freaking out. Wow. And it was like, it was just, it was such a wonderful moment to see like the real excitement on his face being like, oh my God, like I thought this weekend was just going to be like, you know, going to karate and doing a couple other things. And now I'm like, I'm in fun spot all of a sudden, you know, and I'm going to like the hot tub in the woods because there's this awesome So did you like like, tranquilize him and then bring him up and then he woke up I did. Yeah. I gave him just tons of uh, fentanyl, I think was, yeah, which we decided. Because that makes the surprise all the better when they wake up in the morning. And they, and they're like, oh my God, I've survived. Yeah. So on the way down, I'm like, oh, my stomach is not feeling. Oh, no. It's not feeling great. And I'm like, and meanwhile, Micah is passed out in the seat, like with a bag in her hands next to me because she was like, because she almost didn't do it. But she got it together. She was like, you know, we've had this plan. We already paid for the room. You know, like, let's like, let's I'll feel better because, you know, the boys had gotten through this in 24 hours. Right. And and I had not even considered the fact that like my illness might overlap with her. Like I knew it was coming. I knew yeah. I was going to be a fucking disaster. But right. like I thought like it would it would hang on long enough that like uh. one of us could be functioning. But I'm like this is going downhill so fast. And so I get to the cabin, 
and I'm just fucking scream barfing oh, for no. 24 hours in this cabin. And I say scream, you know what scream, you know scream barfing like where like you you are running to the toilet and then you get there and you're just in so much pain uh-huh. like your gut hurts so much that you're yep. just like making these like like yes, noises I do like know. that, and then the uh, because uh, uh, and it's <laughs> oh, like as loud as you can. Someone listening to this is really going to right. You know we're going to actually trigger someone to puke in this episode. In the course of this episode, this is fucking horrible. And then you're like oh, shit. God. So you like sit down to like shit. Trevor and Noah then... has a great bit on this in his Netflix special. Just oh really? About, well, oh, just about that. the like demon thing that happens to you where you like <laughs> jump into the air. You're like. Ugh! You know, but it's but the worst is that like for me the way I could trigger it was by sh- trying to shit because like it, w- it would start to manifest <laughs> as a shit and so I'd be like oh I gotta go and meanwhile this is happening all night like every yeah. ten minutes and I'm like I'm like so you've got a bucket I'm, like, that you're I'm sitting doing, with I have I have the the bucket that we have that we brought home from the hospital from Micah's pregnancy yeah um and then also a couple of bags just as like backup support <laughs> and I'm like doing my whole like oh because I, I can't the only way that I can and we're going to talk in this episode I'm sure about nausea the yep. only way that I can we deal are. with it is by like fucking vocalizing like a moron like I have to go oh like oh and Jude's there's, like there's like a release that comes from that I don't it's know true. what it is but mm-hmm. nobody else does it it's like I like everybody else is like they're all silent and stoic and I, I, the second I get sick I'm like oh <laughs> and then that becomes so I'm like fucking running to the bathroom, oh my God. and then There's I think a it's a samurai shit. twist to that one that you just did. <laughs> yeah. And I like and I like fucking whip my pants off, and I jump down the toilet, and I start shitting, and you then jump the down barf, the toilet like the, Mario I'm Brothers like, style. Boom. Yeah. And then the barf starts coming up, and so I have to get the bucket, and yep. I'm fucking throwing up in a bucket while I'm shitting. Yeah. And I'm like, what is with my life right now? <laughs> but meanwhile, we were in New Hampshire, and like we were like there to go to Fun Spot, and we were like clearly not gonna get that there like, at that spot. point in time. But Micah had recovered enough the next morning that she was able to take the boys while I sat in the car and vomited. Um, and then I, st- I got I'm to a lull. I'm just imagining Micah, you know, she's like, <laughs> I haven't even seen the movie Bird Box. Is that what it's called? Bird yeah, Box? Right. You know, but she's blindfolded the kids <laughs> and, and had them walk past you so they don't have to look at you in that state, you know? <laughs> Let's get out of here. And then, then you're, right, right. they just leave just you moving, for 24 hours. Moving. Yeah. And I was just sitting in the car like dying. And then and then I finally got to a point where I'd, like my stomach had cleared enough where I was able to go inside. And I and I, I remember like I saw them you're and I was like. a shell of yourself. You're like 60 like, pounds lighter. Like, you guys went with me. I had like no energy left, you know. Yep. And every time You've I like puked smell it all food, out. and of course everybody gets pizza when they go to Fun Spot because <laughs> the pizza's delicious. So everything smells like pizza, and the whole time I'm like. <laughs> Um, anyway, we survived, and I'm feeling great. Now. Uh, I so, don't now. I feel less good at this moment after listening to that. Well, just wait till we get to the rest of the episode. Yeah. But before we do, yeah, we have an experiment based do, on audience we? feedback. Yeah, uh, we do we're gonna play to around. You. We do. We've listened to you once. We're gonna play around with segments a little bit. Yeah, we've been doing them like informal little bits and here and there. But I think I think you've all been very clear with us that you're you're demanding really some actual segments. It's from literally us. the only feedback we and, get. Uh, we're gonna give it to you. Yeah. So so get ready. So here it goes. So this is the first installment of what I like to call ass talking, which is what my mom calls when she thinks I'm telling a bullshit I love story. That, I love that you do it that frequently that your mom has a word and that that's what she's chosen. It's yeah. just great. And it's it doesn't perfect. have a G on the end. It's always ass talking. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. And it's for me and my dad. And, and, and you, it's, it's always in the context of this. Like, oh, your dad I'll, too. We'll okay. So my that's dad where you too. get it from. Yeah. yeah. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a very truthful person, yeah. but apparently Appar- not. Apparently. apparently he's an ass talker. Apparent. Apparent. Ooh. So like if this is all the context of this is always I'm like, you know, we're visiting my parents in, in Connecticut and I'm in the kitchen, like, you know, talking to like my sister and, and my wife and the kids, you know, and I'm like kind of going through a story or something. And my mom from upstairs goes, ah, Pat's ass talking again. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? You're listening to my story. You're ruining my story, mom. I'm just imagining mom. the mom in uh, Big Bang Theory. 
you know, uh, what's his face? I haven't watched that show in a while. But... You fucking are obsessed with that show. That's the second time you brought it really? up. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm going seen... to go out on a limb and say that's your favorite show. Oh, my God. Really? You think that? Yeah, I think that's your, so funny. Your favorite, your that's so show. funny it's come across that way because it really, I, I mean, I really haven't watched it. Would you it say you're obsessed? Probably like five years. Would you say you're like a fanatically obsessed <laughs> psycho? I write letters to them every day. <laughs> you do. Like... Um, no, but the, you, so you don't watch it at all? No. Okay, never mind. Keep going. Those who are listening will understand that one of his friends, uh, he has a mom who you never actually see, but she's always, oh, but she's like, always yelling like, from oh, upstairs oh, like, or something. Well, and I don't know. It, it, she never says this to my face. She's always upstairs, and I'm like, yeah. it kind of means a lot that she's like listening to my stories even that's from true. up. I mean, that's very nice. You know, I she's appreciate that. Hearing, but yeah. she's fucking, she's like ruins my stories because I do <laughs> tend to ass talk sometimes. You know, I don't tell. As I, we've learned on this show. I don't usually tell outright lies, but I will sometimes tell slight, you know, embellishments just for the, I, I'll like ass talk just a little bit you know so the segment's gonna work like this this is kind of inspired by a similar segment on wait wait don't tell me so uh when we play ass talking i'm gonna tell a story from history and sometimes it will be real and sometimes it won't be real and john and you listening at home ye millions of unclean masses (laughs) will have to decide for yourselves whether or not I'm ass talking. Yeah. Okay, and to be clear, some of these times you won't actually know either, right? Because I, I will very f- seldom. Know. Frequently, yeah. you will think something is true, and it, like as we discovered last <laughs> week about true. jalapenos and uh, That's, habaneros. Yes. Oh, which we should clear up by the way, chipotles. Yes, chipotle a dried is, jalapeno is a chipotle pepper. Yeah, Jeff did actually follow up with us on that one. He did within yeah. minutes of our broadcast ending of our live studio broadcast. Live studio. Audience. Yeah, li- live across the nation. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's the story. Okay, so this is the story behind a. I don't know if it's a fame. It's a famous invention in the line of work that that I do, but maybe not in in you you you'll probably know about it. Okay, so in the in pre World War One New Mexico, I think it was 1912, but I don't want to quote the date because I might be wrong about <laughs> Cause that. Because you're ass talking. Because <laughs> no, it was sometime in, shortly after the turn of the century. All right, it was in New Mexico. There was a railroad engineer who had a great idea for a transit system in Albuquerque, and he called it the Nome. The gnome. With the gnome. Yeah, okay. the N-O-M-E. Yeah. Because gnomes with a G were relatively new to the United States at the time. It was like, you know, there was like t-shirts and shit with gnomes on them. Yeah. I guess not t-shirts, but it was like, it was like, a, it was like the, you know, the teddy bear kind of came out of nowhere. Like the gnome was something that was I mean, kind I of don't a cultural actually know where the hell the teddy bear came from, but that's another, oh, that's well, that's another, another ass talking yeah, story yeah, yeah, right yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, the, the gnome was like a relatively new pop culture artifact in the United States. And yeah. to capitalize on that, he had this idea and he called it the gnome. It was the Northern Overland Metro Express. Okay. I think it was a, it was like a transit system. And um, the novel innovation to this was that it always ran on time because it had a unique mechanism that would uh, change tracks at preset times throughout the day. Huh. So at certain durations of time, the tracks would shift, and that way two cars would never be in the way. Right. And it, it, w- it wouldn't be able to leave Brilliant. the station because of magnetic closures this on the gates. all sounds reasonable so far. Yeah, right, right. It, it, was, it was a way to basically standardize the transit, which I feel like we could probably benefit from in Greater Boston. Indeed. Um, but the problem was that people were not making trains because people were used to trains being delayed. So there were all of these complaints coming oh. in, flooding the system um, about people missing connections. Okay, so he, uh, so they, they got rid of this idea and they had to go back to manual conductors having to like ring the you know central command and be like, can you switch the tracks over? You know, we terrible got an inbound system. train coming in, which is terrible. But apparently entropy actually helps because people are sloppy creatures, and that's you know yep. who we are. Um, but he had all this technology with this this clicking turnover mechanism, and uh, he was an amateur musician, and he was giving tuba lessons to his son, and he had this clicking mechanism, 
and he decided to see if it could help his son stay on tempo while he was practicing his music. And the first piece of music this happened with was by Beethoven. It was Symphony Number no. 5, the tuba part. And, uh, and he found that it actually worked really well. So then he worked on this design quite a bit over the years. And that's how we got the metronome, oh. which is now used to practice music and to set tempos for things. Tempi. So that's Tempe. the origin story of the metronome. That sounds fascinating. I'll buy it. So am I ass talking or not? I, I buy it. I think it's true. Listeners? Okay, we're going to say that they went with you on that. <laughs> I'm ass talking! You motherfucker. I was ass talking. So wait a minute. I, I feel like I, I'm starting to question this segment idea because okay. I feel like the ones that you you know you're ass talking and that you can set up, that's so easy for you to do. You could make it exactly true but change one thing about it. But I actually know the story of the metronome. Is it going to take you an hour to tell us? Yes, but it, it, it takes place in France so a so, very so long time no part of that this. story is true? No, nothing in that all right, story all right. is true. As long as we keep the but segment... But that's how realistic it was. Do you see that? I do. Do you see how amazing... The Northern Overland that was, Metro that Express... Was you put a lot of I'll thought into great. that. No, I did it. That was spontaneous. That's my ass-talking ability. I'm telling you, man. That was all spontaneous. You didn't actually... You yeah. hadn't thought through any well, of that in advance. I was walking advance. over here. I was thinking it would be funny if there was like a train that was like... the. All right. I'll give it to you. That was impressive. As long as we don't get into this weird thing where you're giving a story that's like almost totally true. No, no, no. It will always be clearly okay. ridiculous. Got it. Hence, hence the ass talking. Yeah, hence the, hence the wow. ass talking. You are quite the ass talker, my Thanks. friend. So you want to talk about balls? I guess. Or ball singular, balls. As, it, as it were. So this, the, so something that we've been kind of teasing for a while um, is <laughs> quite the thing to tease. Yeah, I don't, I don't, maybe not. Maybe not teasing. Tease in the way that you know the channel five, the local news is like coming up next. Will cancer kill you? <laughs> right, right, right. Find Can out. Can the microwave turn sentient and, and you burn to, your yeah, face? And then you have to listen to the whole. You know, episode. I fucking hate that. They yeah. know what they're doing. Of course they do. They know. They love that shit. They're supposed to be fucking assholes. News, a service to us, you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, keep that. going. Anyway, so so something that um, that we've talked a little bit about a number of times, but never really had a chance to kind of dive into, is your cancer story. Yeah. Which is something that um, I think is uh, <laughs> very fun times. It's pretty amazing. I remember when you applied to Oxfam, because at that point I was working on recruiting. I remember getting your resume. And uh, be, I was like, for one thing, how has this person worked at a real estate agency for 20 years and he's 24 <laughs> years old? I still don't understand that. Um, and the other thing was uh, your blog, which and I was reading your blog and it had the whole sort of cancer background. Yeah. In it. yeah. And I was really struck by how, uh, how in-depth you were with unpacking your journey and kind of what it, what it was like for you. So I guess I, I want to go back to the beginning a little bit. Yeah. And uh, sort of what, how, what, what, what was the day that you found out you got cancer like? You've told the story a little bit about the palpating and shit yeah, I've on, told... on here. But like, what was it like emotionally for you that, that oh, day? Man. <clears throat> well, it's funny. What stage was it found at? It was stage 1B, I think it's called. Okay. Or was it stage 2B? I don't even... That, that's the thing. Some of the details I'm definitely going to get wrong. Yeah. That's I feel like you're supposed to be the does. one who knows that. That that seems like a detail that would stick, huh? Yeah, it does. But that's you know, not you've it. Been, you've that's been, not how the you've memory been cleaning works. Barf in the car too much. Yeah, I'm telling you. Exactly. I don't need to know that anymore. Um, well, and it's also funny. You know, you'll you'll prompt me to like jog my memory on some stuff. I'm sure because a lot of that stuff, you. I mean, I, I think, um, I think I'm particularly. Uh, I don't want to say good because that's not the right word, but I, I compartmentalize really well. I'll say it that way. And so a lot of stuff is like buried in a box in the attic of my brain that I purposefully, you know, don't open too much. Um, but in the case of remembering back now, you know, the timing is funny um, in the not really in a funny haha kind of way. But it's been actually 10 years this spring that 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 first, you know, diagnosis came. And uh, which is crazy to think that a whole decade has almost passed. You know, it was like this May it would have been. Um, so what happened is. 
uh, I I felt a weird like sensation in my testicle, and I did this classic thing that I mean I think many of us do. You know, often men get uh, you hear about men doing this thing where it's denial and they won't go to the doctor and all this other stuff, um, which wasn't totally true. But I also was you know feeling like uh, unlike you or some of you, some people who necessarily go to the worst case, I often was going to like the like oh I'm sure it's nothing you know which is also really bad. Um, and so I felt, I felt like a little pain there and in particular to the touch, it was like a little sensitive, you know, um, like or tender, I guess is the right word, uh, which is a word you probably don't normally use with your, your testicles, but you know, that's what it was. Feeling. But we're going, I mean, you know, I, my, I nicknamed mine tender actually. There you go. Yeah. Tender. And what's the it's other ten, one? It's ten and Oh, that's yeah. good. I like that. Yeah. Metronome. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> so I, so I remember distinctly. When I was driving in particular, something about like sitting in that sit in that um, position and the pressure of it was hurting. And so, you know, it went on, I don't know if I'm guessing, I'd say probably a week or so and, and it wasn't getting any better. And so finally I'm like, I should probably, you know, I probably have to really get this checked out because I mean, of course my mind, you know, did go to that place of like, God, what if this is, you know, cancerous or some kind of growth that shouldn't be there. And so I went still thinking like, you know, just to be safe kind of thing, right? Um, and I went to an ER and you went to an ER. Yeah. Because you know, I wanted and what'd to, what'd you say at triage? Oh man. I don't even remember. You're I mean, like my balls. Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, all right, next please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like, actually, well, they're tender. Well, uh, yeah, I, t- I get some tender balls. <laughs> I got some tender balls. Oh my God. And, and so it gets, it gets funnier because then, you know, what they have to do is an ultrasound. So so imagine the ultrasound, you know, what you and I found have seen, out that you were pregnant, but the baby well, was in your balls. Well, of course, balls. that was like what I said, you know, I'm sure yeah. everybody who gets an ultrasound that isn't for um, a baby says this, but I was like, you know, is it a, is it a boy or a girl? <laughs> yeah, right. Because um, like you got to break up the, you know, the stressful moments there with some humor. And so, but but it's so awkward, you know, because you've got someone, you know, you've seen it obviously with, with um, your wife and, and you know that process where they have to put the gel on. Did they do they that? To, yeah. Oh, man. And so they have to put the gel on and they have to like put the little device, you know. <laughs> of course, the device is much bigger than, I mean, unless you have gigantic <laughs> testicles. Um, the device itself is bigger than your, your balls. Oh, so my they God. Have to, like, yeah, it's wicked awkward. But, you know, you deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> and, we were like, I'm cold, okay? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's warm, actually. That gel is warm. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It feels good. <laughs> have you, like, revisited this with <laughs> Bethany in the years since? You're like, no, I I'm telling you, a lot of what I'm about KY to say, joke. like, I don't, you know, I can certainly, I speak to, like, some of the broad stuff, right, still, but I don't, the details are things that I just don't, I don't think about as much anymore. Yeah. Um, and they don't come up, you know, often in conversation. But so I had that moment. And as I remember it, I was with Bethany at the time you know, for support. And, uh, so they did the thing and I think, I think I didn't get results right there then and there as is usual, the case, usually the case. Um, and they, they then, um, sent me off to a, um, what is it called? Urologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know anything until I actually went to a urologist again, from what I remember, but you had felt a, a growth, right? I felt something funny there. It was like, a, it was kind of like a hard, something hard and it, and it actually hurt. And what right. I later found out is that usually it doesn't hurt, and that the fact that it actually was you know hurting um, is was a blessing for me because I bet, yeah. I, you know that triggered me to go in. If I just felt something, and you went within like a week of being yeah. symptomatic. Which yeah, is probably was, why they it caught was, it. Before it was stage pretty quick. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But if it hadn't hurt, you know, and if it was just something that felt a little off, I probably would have waited longer. Um, you know, hopefully, I would have eventually gone in, or I don't know. I guess a, uh, an annual checkup would have discovered it. I'm not sure, but. Um, it hurt. And so that's, you know, that's really what 
went why I went. Can I cut in with something dumb? Oh yeah. So that's that's my job. Yeah. The annual checkup ball check. Yeah. I f- I feel is a very weird moment. Oh, I mean, maybe it not, is. maybe you get like a better one now because of your history. Oh, more advanced. Like you get like the deluxe treatment, but like yeah. I feel like it's always like like the doctor knows that that's coming, right? Oh yeah. And she's always like, well. Okay, let's do it. And then she just like goes, and then it's like over with. Yeah. And, and I'm you, like, you cough too, right? It, yeah, but sometimes they're not like, sometimes they don't yeah, tell sometimes me Sometimes they don't. Yeah. I'm like, is there like, it's not a standardized routine for this? I know. What are they even doing It down is there? a little awkward. But that's the thing. If you feel an abnormality, I mean, it's as simple as that. And but sometimes like, they don't, they don't palpate. Oh, really? Yeah. I love that you, you the, our audience <laughs> couldn't see that, but you know, you held <laughs> your hand see, up and actually moment. palpated. Like wait, some, like my pediatrician would like palpate, you yeah. know, but I feel like uh, a, a doctor's had as an adult. I mean, my biggest recommendation, you know, for the, there's the annual checkup, but don't rely on that. My yeah. biggest recommendation is like, get familiar with your balls. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a great so ad say, campaign. They say, <laughs> isn't it? It's a great what? Ad, ad campaign. campaign. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I should write one. Um, so I Barf mean, they buds. say like once a month you should be, you know, doing it in the shower or whatever. Um, to just feel and and the thing is initially you know you're gonna feel some weird stuff there because like it, it is weird there's like nerves and I don't know I don't even know I should know a lot more about the anatomy of a testicle at this point um, but I don't but you're gonna notice some weird stuff and you know there's the, more going the, on the than point just is, a bunch of balls yeah exactly there's there's wires <laughs> yeah there's, there's buttons wires. there's lots of buttons <laughs> if you listen you can um, hear a buzzing sound it will respond to your voice <laughs> it, it has that technology now. Yep. It does. Uh, voice activation. Open so, garage doors. Yeah. And so there's some weird stuff in there, but, you know, feel it so you know what the norm is. And then, you know, if you do it monthly and all of a sudden, like, you feel something different, you know, th- in terms of the texture of it, I guess, you know, it's, if it's hard or whatever, um, then you'll be aware and, you know, you can take the next steps. Um, because that's certainly not something I ever did. And truthfully, I don't even, I, I really should be doing it now with the one testicle I have left. Spoiler alert. But um, I don't as often as I should. You know, I, pro- mm. I do at least a few times a year. But um, anyway, I went in. I did those things. I went to the urologist. And uh, again, so many of the details blur. But like as I remember it, <clears throat> I went and it was um, towards the end of the school year. I was a senior and I was just wrapping up with finals. And I actually went to that appointment and found out that I had, you know, testicular cancer. And the guy like explained the situation that it's, you know, it's treatable. Um I imagine at that point he made it clear that I had to have surgery. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to take in. Um, and to my earlier point about comp- compartmentalizing, I, after that appointment, I went and took a final and aced it. Oh, my God. Because really? I was just like, I think I just needed to not think about it. That's probably some of what was happening. Um, but it was like such a surreal moment. And there's also like a winter, there's a storm, I think. It was just like, I mean, it's, it's, Earth shattering maybe is a strong word, but it is. It just cha- it's like something that you just don't think will happen to you. You're you know? 22. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, I think that's right. Let's see. I don't know. I can't do that. Yeah, I was 22 or 23. 23. Yeah, I think I was 23. Yeah. If it was 10 years ago. Um, and so I went through the next like month or whatever, finishing up finals and then graduating. And over that course of time, you, I had you to You were getting have, treatment during that time? Well, no. So what they first do is surgery because immediately they really have to remove it. And so they course, just chop the ball off right well, off the bat. So of course, yeah, they don't actually chop it off, but, you know, but that would be, that would probably be bad. Yeah. Um, so of course that, you know, you think about this as a man, as one who wants to have kids someday um, and knowing that, you know, your balls, you know, you got some balls, you know, that's like a very um, symbolic thing, right? For us as men. And so the idea that you're going to lose one is a lot to take in. 
Um, and of course, immediately uh, for me, it's like, all right, well, am I still going to you know be able to have kids? Like, what should I expect for losing a testicle? And uh, I was really shocked to hear from the urologist, like, yeah, pretty much nothing. Like, it, it really doesn't change anything as long as you have one. Um, I guess the other one is sort of like a backup. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that, it, which is pretty great that we're designed that way. Well, it's probably like a redundant, I mean, we have two of it's most redundant. things, right? So exactly. Like, you know. Yeah. Which is, you know, fortunate. And so, uh, you know, and there's also the spoiler for the fact that, you know, I have kids now, which is, <laughs> which is nice. Um, so of course, you know, that was my first concern. And, uh, you know, not, it's not what you want to hear as a, as a young man about to graduate college, like excited for that next chapter that, you know, before I even graduated, I had to schedule the surgery like ASAP. Um, and so I had that done before I, before I graduated to remove the testicle, which they do through, uh, what's it called? Laparoscopic. Um, oh, wow. Really? Yeah, they do. Which really? Is, <laughs> which is crazy to think. So they do like an incision that's like, I don't know, six, it's like in your abdomen. And, uh, and then they just feed a little tube down there? I guess so. Yeah. That's and of course, crazy. my last words were, you know, make sure you remove the right one. And, and then I, I think I said, and by right, I mean left. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, just in case, uh, he, yeah. I, I'm not, these are not my wishes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But they mark, you know, they mark your hand too, the hand of the testicle oh that they're going to Can you imagine waking up and they took the wrong one? Could they do anything at that point? They could probably reattach it. You think so? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Ugh. And then the other thing you have to decide is whether you want a synthetic one. They're synthetic balls? They sure are. Like because, an implant? Yeah, because, you know, it does nothing. You know, it's just, it's not functional, it's but just it's just there. Yeah, because some people have a hard time with the idea that they'll have, you know. Also, I was already, like, in a very serious relationship with someone I knew I was going to marry. Right. Um, but if you're out there and, like, you know, it's not something you necessarily advertise or want people to know about, you could go on and live a happy life and, you know, have a synthetic one and nobody would ever know. Right. Um. So that's why. But I, I opted out of that. That because actually makes sense. It yeah. does. I opted out of it because it also it's it's a foreign object in your body and your body could reject it, you know, which I think is rare, but it happens. And so I'm like, I don't fucking, you know, I just want to get that thing out and oh, not have to deal with anything else. Um, so. So, yeah, they removed it. And then the next thing they have to do. is What was that like? What was that like to only have one? Well, uh, like, uh, how long were you in the hospital recovering from that? <clears throat> oh, it's you know, it was actually, so it was it's, quick, it's just right? a quick thing. Yeah, you go in, outpatient? same day, yep. Mm-hmm. And you just, what? You um, just walked out just with one testicle? You. They just you. Know, you're, you're, I was in there for like probably at least an hour after the surgery because I was on morphine. Was and, it hard to walk or anything? Um, all of a sudden I started leaning to one side. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> the, the titanic weight of the remaining ball. <laughs> exactly. Was it hard to like walk um, though? Like. Not that I, there was definitely some pain there, but they had me on, you know, real pain meds. Of course, that was at a time where you got those more easily too, yeah, right. 10 years ago. Um, so I don't remember it being like awful pain, wow. you know, certainly it was not nearly as bad as what I, what was the worst pain I've ever been in, which is appendicitis. And that happened mm-hmm. maybe, uh, um, a few years after that, I guess it was, but, uh, yeah. So, so I dealt with that and, um, it, it, the, the surgery part I, I would say was the least bad part of it all even though you'd think that might be one of the worst <laughs> you know the idea of having your ball removed um but psychologically it was not a big deal you know i think once i really understood the fact that and and came to believe it to be the truth and saw other men you know at the time i think is it dustin pedroia i don't want to get the wrong red sox player but so. there's there is a red sox player who had um gone through it and went on to live a happy life and i, I could be I wrong about that. who it is wow. yeah i don't even remember but it was one who was on the team at the time um, and you know, I just started hearing more of these stories and I'm like, all right, well, you know, while this is the number one cancer of men, young men, something uh-huh. between, you know, ages of 18 and 35 or something like that. Um, but it's also, it's like one of the most treatable forms of cancer. And so the surgery part and the psychology behind that, um, it was tough, like going into it, knowing I'd have to go through a surgery and all that. But once I got on the other side of it, 
And now looking back at that whole experience, the surgery was really just the, you know, the small sort of, uh, you know, concerning part, but not nearly as bad as what would come next mm-hmm. um, over the course of that summer. Um, and of course, there's also, yeah, you do, your body has to adjust to the fact, or, or mentally you have to adjust to the fact that there's only one there. So you still every now and then do the like Bilbo Baggins reaching for the ring, you know, like, oh, oh you know, looking yeah. in your pocket. Like, did I just, did that other ball just suck <laughs> up into my body again? Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, you get over that and it's fine. So, uh, oh, and the other thing I had to do is, uh, because I knew I wanted to have kids is to freeze some of it to freeze. Really? Some, yeah. Actually that was before, before chemo that I had to do this because though having one right. testicle doesn't make any difference, but chemo can. Mm-hmm. And so, so anyway, I'm, I, 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 I fast forwarded to that, but really the next part was, uh, more blood work to see if it had spread in my body. Um, and if it was detectable in my blood through the tumor markers, I guess they are. Um, and unfortunately it had, so, so that's why I wasn't like one a or whatever the system is where they could just remove that and then you'd you'd be done, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, if it was early enough, I would have been, um, but it actually had started to metastasize, I guess it wasn't to the point where the next worst thing would have been, um, if I had to have my lymph nodes removed Right. and you've got like a series of lymph nodes in your body and that just sounds like Tom Green, I think went through that, Mm. which is also, you know, it's treatable, but it's like a huge surgery. Lymphectomy. Um, Yeah. Um, so fortunately it hadn't gotten to that point. So instead it was really just, um, just, <laughs> it, you know, it was in my system. And so I had to have chemotherapy as a, per, not just a precaution cause it was there. It wasn't like it was just, just in case it was mm-hmm. so that it would prevent it from getting worse. Um, and, and how, how upfront were they yeah. with you about your prognosis? Like by this, but like, were they like, this is fine. We're in control of it. You will survive this and you will be okay. But it's going to be a rough summer. Were they basically saying that? Yeah, it was after the urologist, which was like a local doctor that I went to, and then I had surgery in a local hospital. I was like, all right, I really, you know, I'm in Boston or close enough to Boston. I really want to go to a place that specializes in this. And so I went to Dana-Farber. And that's the point at which um, I had already had the surgery and I had my initial, um, you know, meeting with the doctor. And, and she basically, yeah, delivered the message that you just said. And she was very clearly like, you're going to be, you're going to make it through this and you're going to be fine. Um, it's going to be, you know, a tough summer, um, but this is a very f- treatable form of cancer. But you were young. You caught it pretty early. Yeah. You were blindingly athletic. You right. knocked teeth out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. You're very virile, strong. Strong as an you're ox. Fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, she was very clear about it. I think I was surprised later to learn the odds, and I thought, you know, based on everything I'd been hearing then, I, I really, I did believe I was going to be fine. I didn't, you know, I mean, I won't say it wasn't part of me that wondered or whatever, um, but... I did mostly just feel like I have to get through this, you know, and beat it. Um, but I think later I learned the odds were still like, you know, maybe 25, 75%, um, you know, that I would, I would recover from it, that I would be cancer free, uh, or beat it or however you want to word it. So, um, which is pretty high, but at at the same time, you know, one in four is still (laughs) scary. Um, so yeah, I went through the way it was, it was, it was three rounds of chemo, which is like three, three week sessions of it over the course of a summer. And so each month I had this like, you know, three week every day of the week you go in for chemotherapy and, uh, you know, as other people who have had cancer or know other people who have had it will tell you, um, chemo is just fucking awful. And, and, you know, I I think we're going to look back someday on that, that method, um, in the way that we do about like leeches now and other practices. Although I, I guess I should say leeches didn't actually do any fucking good, whereas chemo clearly worked because I'm now cancer free. Um, but the whole idea of chemo is that you're putting a toxin in your body to kill it. 
You know, you're, like it, you're, you're killing yourself just enough to kill off the new growth, yeah. and then you allow yourself to recover. Which is fucking yeah. crazy, right? It's, 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 it's crazy. It's amazing, yeah. like that we have that technology, but it's also we're going to look back on it and be like, yeah. "Wow, thank God we are." You know, and, now and we have radiation precise too. It's such methods. a it's it's, exactly. it's really brutal to your body. It is, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there's a whole fucking list of of side effects with chemo, and some of them can stick with you forever. Um, and like random things too, like you can have you can lose. Um, sense of touch in your fingers, uh, whatever that's called. I don't know the words for these things anymore. Um, you can have tinnitus where you always have, you know, the, um, beeping in your ears, um, which I don't, occasionally I used to get it more. So I don't think I have that anymore. Um, or I've just blocked it out because your brains are amazingly good at like, you know, doing that. Um, so that part's scary. And then with one of the chemos, you know, my lungs in particular, they want, they had to watch out for because it can do some damage to your lungs, but like there is no alternative, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I went into it feeling like I was being really well taken care of and going to the right place. And I went into it feeling very, um, empowered and like, I'm going to do this. Right. Um, and I did things like, you know, as I started to lose my hair with the chemo, I just fucking took it all off. And one of the ways I tried to do that, you know, those lint removers, those like sticky lint remover things. I remember using it on my head to try to take off all the hair. (laughs) I don't fucking know what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I wanted to just, I didn't want it that patchy thing going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted this to be on my terms and just just fucking take it off. But why the hell didn't I just think of shaving it instead of, you know? (laughs) Um, so I do remember, you know, those couple showers where, uh, you know, where most of my hair would rub off and all that, which is like, it's a big moment. It's like, it shouldn't really matter. You know, it's just like a, especially as a man, you can, you know, it's a lot less um, of an issue, I guess, because, you know, for women, it's hard. You know, women often will have wigs and, you know, just being bald as a woman isn't uh, a norm in this society. Whereas you can, you can get through it with, as a man in a different way. But still, there's something symbolic about that of losing your hair that we've all come to understand as, you know, that's a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I wanted to do that on my own terms and, uh, with a lint roller, with a lint roller. Yep. <laughs> and so I did that. And so the first, the first treatment, the first like three weeks or so I was feeling pretty good, but there's this nasty thing with chemo where it is the cumulative effect. And as it starts to build up in your system, um, it just, you know, we were talking about nausea earlier and that's, I mean, they compare it to the second trim or the first trimester of a pregnancy where you have that. Um, constant nausea so I can relate you know to our wives who uh, who went through that to some extent um, and how certain foods just make you fucking disgusted you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing and and that part was probably the hardest of just dealing with that constantly during that time frame so I've heard from from a lot of cancer it's miserable patients. yeah, yeah. Um, and there's to this day there are still things that I can't eat because I ate them during that time frame when I was on chemo um, really? or they would give you something like a Jolly Rancher while you were having the chemo, because yeah, it has like kind of a metallic taste, and you know, chemo. So for those who don't know, it's something that goes through um, through an IV. Um, some people have to actually get something that's I forget what it's called, but it's in their chest, and they can just easily like connect into the IV. Um, but for me, it was like I, it was only for this three month period, so they didn't bother doing that. They just did every three weeks. Um, they would put in like a. a like a stent? Yeah, a stent into and my And you would arm. go in for, an, like, how, how long would this be? Four um, it was, hours? It was, no, yeah, it was like a four-hour so, you know, time period. So it was pretty long. Each day would be, you know, first blood work, and then you go through the... And then you just go home. Um, the chemo, and then you go home, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't stay at the hospital at all. It was really just each day you go home. And so I, you know, very close with my family, and thankfully they would uh, bring me in. And, and, you know, Bethany, I wasn't married to her at this point, but she was right there with me throughout this whole experience, and her mm-hmm. family was there. Um, and so like people divvied up rides and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
but yeah, so the Jolly Rancher thing, you know, they'd give you some because it takes away some of the metallic taste in your mouth. Um, but of course, as a result, like I don't even want to touch Jolly Ranchers now because yeah. the stuff that you just start to associate, you know, with that time period. Um, and it's why, you know, I've sort of, you block out a lot of the details of all that stuff. Cause it just like, it's amazing how your brain, it's it's a little bit of PTSD, right? Um, it works in the same, in the same ways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was three courses of that. And for me, the blogging that you mentioned was a really important part of it because it allowed me to do a few things. One, one is like, I wanted to be able to update my community, my people in ways that, you know, your fans. Yeah. My fans, my fannies influencer, uh, without actually, you know, talking to all of them, like that would have been exhausting and nobody of course expected that. But like, you know, I want to keep people up- updated. They care about me. Um, which is nice. Thanks. And, uh, what it, what it really became is a helpful way for me to process and work through what was happening. And particularly we're a time where you're fucking bored a lot. You know, like you can't really do much. Yeah, were you like working on stuff during this? Other I mean, than that? so I had been, you know, I had you were at the job. I had a job at the time, but I stopped. Years. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But I stopped work for that whole summer, and um, I just stayed home. And I just, you know, I I watched movies and read. But like, you're in such a weird state of mind that you can't really do anything. At least for me, I just couldn't do anything very productive. Were you able to exercise at all? Um, no, I don't remember doing much in the way of exercise. I mean, I I, I think I got out occasionally, but there's even weird stuff with that where like. That you have to be really careful with the sun. Um, really? Yeah, I can't even remember why. <laughs> but like, yeah, the sun was an issue, um, and your immune system is really compromised. So, right, I bet. Yeah. Um, you know, you get injections, a steroid thing, which also made me like fucking ravenous um, whenever I would get that. Really? Uh, yeah, which was wild, and that's what they want. They actually want it partially. It's to help you eat more. Um, because otherwise, you know, your body, you, you don't feel like eating. Right. So, and you're also uh, barfing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, thankfully I didn't, although I was extremely nauseous, I didn't really puke much from hmm. what I remember, which is helpful. Um, but yeah, I was ravenous when, uh, <laughs> in particular, uh, Meatball subs, I remember being mm, particularly yeah, good stuff. Go to D'Angelo's, yeah. get the meatball sub. <laughs> D'Angelo's. That's the high, yeah. the high bar for it's meatball bar. sub. Yeah. High watermark. Exactly. Um, but man, it's like crazy to think about it because it's like, while in the middle of it, it's awful, you know, but looking back, it's like all of it was in that summer. And then I came out of that summer and I just kept getting better and better and better. And it's all just like in the past. What was it like during the week, uh, between those three week periods? Um, I think that was when it was pretty miserable, you know, because, Mm -hmm. because the chemo was all built up in your system. You had just gotten it all. And it was like, just feeling like shit. And each one of those got worse. So after the first one, I was still like, all right, I can do this, you know, but you don't know what's coming. You know, it's like, it just gets worse. And, uh, you know, that's fine. That's the attitude you should have. But I, there's a few like life lesson kind of things that I took away from that in that there's a lot of talk about thinking positively, right? And being positive. And there's like the secret and like, you know, there's a lot of writing about this. Fake it till you make it. Um, and like, you know, to an extent I've talked about this in the joy episode about reframing and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's a really important distinction between that and being honest with yourself. And it comes, you know, this is more of the mindfulness technique, I guess, where there's times where you really feel like shit and you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to pretend you're not. Um, and you shouldn't like fake it with other people. And, you know, you just got to be honest with yourself and others and, and, and it's going to suck, you know? And so I think, I don't know, I just worry about people who get set up with that approach of like think positive and that kind of thing. Cause it puts this sort of like, makes you feel like shit if you don't feel positive, you know, you've got like two layers of feeling sh- like shit. 
You've got the right. You actually actual, feel like shit, and you yeah. also feel like shit for pretending you don't feel like shit. Exactly, <clears throat> and that you're failing at pretending or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I came out of it with a better appreciation because I think so many people in our world have chronic pain or chronic issues, um, who or have cancer or whatever there is going on in their lives, and uh, or or you know you just have shitty circumstances, whatever it may be. Um, so I don't know. I just I think that's an important one for me. Um, I do, though, also distinctly remember, you know, being in that moment in that time and and trying to avoid this like why me kind of question and, you know, wallowing in it, Um, particularly because, you know, the why me question for me was not like, you know, why did I get this and nobody, you know, why was it me? Um, But it was like, what did I do to deserve like some of the best care that I can get the health care, the family, all the support that I have. And meanwhile, people like are dying from cancer every day. And worse than that, even um, people are dying from things that are in- incredibly treatable, you know, that aren't nearly as complex as cancer. And it's, you know, part of the reason why we work at an organization like Oxfam, um, because but even just, just listening to your story of like, <clears throat> you know, you had the option to go to Dana-Farber. Yeah. You know, you had health coverage. Right. You had a family you could rely on. Yeah. You had a girlfriend who could drive you around. Yep. You had a lot of these built-in safe, and also you were young and healthy. Otherwise, right? You, you had a lot of these these advantages so that a many, lot of other people so who go through this at different stages in their in their lives, you know, don't have. And I was just I, I was just thinking there must be so many people who lack those safety nets, even in the United States, and their cancer just goes unchecked and they they die from it. Right. You know exactly. So I I really wanted to focus on that, not as a way of like ignoring how bad I was feeling, but just like, you know, putting it in that perspective, like I knew I was going to make it through this. And and I know that there every day are people, you know, kids, adults, whatever, that are that are dying so needlessly, you know. And so I think in a way it did reaffirm um, the direction that I wanted to go with my life and, you know, why I work somewhere like Oxfam and want to focus on that work. And that like, you know, I, I think I talked in our identity episode about how I felt like there was this sort of crossroads where I could you know, sort of go full on with the film kind of career and that that thing, which maybe would have been amazing, you know, and I could have done a lot of good through that too um, or focus more on where I ended up now and working for Oxfam. And, and that just felt like a moment in my life where it solidified it. Um, <clears throat> and I think solidified, you know, the, the importance of family and having family and all of that. And so, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I, I think about this as a parent now too. Um, I remember being distinct, distinctly distraught when I saw at Dana-Farber during that experience um, kids going through this and uh, it's still really hard you know for me like if I'm out or you know I see a kid who looks to be going through cancer because you know I'm assuming it based on the shaved head and other things other signs but um, on one hand it's like man you know why should they have to at such a young age go through that but then on the other hand I'm like you know kids are so fucking resilient and they don't even know what a normal life, you know, what, what is expected? What is life going to bring them? And so if anything, they have the resilience to get them through it in ways that even adults don't. Um, but I also, I think to my parents and like, you know, I don't even want to imagine, um, having a child go through a serious illness like that because that's gotta be so fucking hard, you know, to see your kid in such a vulnerable state and there's not much you can do except, you know, support them day to day. Um, so, you know, I just have appreciation for what they went through and like how hard that must be. <laughs> have you talked to them about it? Not really. Not since then. You know, I don't know. I'm not even sure what I'd say, but 
it was definitely a moment that I think brought us all together. My parents were also divorced, and it wasn't, you know, I guess it would have been a few years out at that point, but they still weren't getting along at all. And, and that was a moment where I think people were much more civil and just like, you know, they were there for me and it didn't matter. Any, any of the past stuff didn't matter. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, how often would you say you think about it now? <clears throat> like personally? Not very. You know, I think there are things that will trigger it. Um, so occasionally, like if I'm feeling crappy, if I'm sick or something like that, I might, remind myself like you know well you kind of made it through something more serious right but then again that's doing what you said not to do which well, is sort of pretending like you i know, think it doesn't I, matter you're right? right i think there's a really fine line there i think it's yeah. that you you're acknowledging it you're, you're also acknowledging everything's relative so mm-hmm. i haven't been sick for you know 10 years with cancer so of course when i get sick now it sucks more than if i you know what i mean if it were closer to that time frame i would have thought of oh this is nothing right right so it isn't like putting yourself down about that. It's just like, I would say the power of reframing is really just, you know, acknowledging more than it is trying to judge. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Because as does, soon as yeah. you judge, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, and it's it's not fair to yourself and it's not going to help, you know, you feel better. But if you're acknowledging it and that like, you know, other people are going through this, it's like, I don't know, it's a more positive way of framing it, I think. Um, yeah. But I, in terms of day to day... Um, when else do I think about it? I don't know. I mean, I I also try to think about it sometimes in the, in the context of life challenges and the fact that like that's something I can kind of log in my book. Like I fucking beat cancer, you know. So uh, I'm not gonna let this stupid like one day drama thing, you know, defeat me or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's it's given you a different perspective. A little yeah. Bit, I think. Yeah. Do you think going through it as a young person as opposed to at the age when most people would go through cancer had uh, a different effect on you? Do you think that I mean and, I'm sure it did. I I wonder cuz it, it happened at the time in your life when when most people figure out what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Know? That's right? true. Mm-hmm. So I I wonder like if, if this had happened when you were 65. Yeah. You know what that would be. It's true. I don't know. I mean it it didn't I wouldn't say that it completely changed the tra- trajectory of my life. I feel like I I kind of knew which direction I wanted to go in and this maybe solidified it for me. Mm-hmm. But I but I have to believe that it it had certain uh repercussions that I'll never fully understand, you know, in terms of how I think about life or my health or anything else. Um it's funny cuz it also I didn't have this awakening in terms of taking better care of myself. <laughs> um you know, one thing that happened over the course of it is uh people would say like occasionally people who wanted to help would uh maybe pitch certain ideas or whatever and there was one in particular who was like a dietitian or something and and she was saying how i should stop the chemo and just like eat in these certain ways and that would help (laughs) kill the cancer and i got so fucking annoyed with that um i remember asking my doctor specifically about like you know should i pay attention to what i eat or what and she's like just eat whatever you want (laughs) you're you're putting chemo in your body like you know don't worry about that and and like certainly there are there are good practices to eating before you ever have hopefully you never have cancer but to prevent it um and after the fact to take care of yourself and maybe there are even while you're in the midst of it but like you know, you're also you're taking care of it with a fucking poison in your body. Mm-hmm. My point there, though, is thinking about it after the fact. Um, while I've tried to like focus more on my health, I, I I think it's taken a while for me to get into a better routine because like you know life happens and you move away from it. Um, but now I truly I feel healthier than I ever have in that I'm now finally like getting into more of a routine with working out and you know punching a bag. You got the bag in have, the basement. I don't have teeth to punch out. Load bearing. Um, load bearing. So, so that helps, but, um, 
I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm rambling a little bit. It's like, on one hand, I don't feel like I focused enough on my health after that. On the other hand, I guess in ways that I don't fully understand, you know, maybe I have an appreciation for it that I otherwise wouldn't have. Well, it's sort of, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about how funny bodies are. And I think a part of it's because... Uh, they are pretty funny. Well, I, don't, I don't just mean like, you know, slapstick, but like, yeah, no, I, I think I part of it's because, you know, of Micah's studies um, and just, you know, because she's, you know, I've been there with her while she's been studying things and she's been telling me about all the stuff because I find it so fascinating. And um, <clears throat> they're, it's really like they're like suits that we're piloting while we're like sentient in our lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there are so many systems working within these like suits oh, that you have amazing. to stay on top of. And it's, it's insane that they function as well as they do. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's amazing that like with all of the things that could go wrong, like how many of us go through, just sail through life, you know, until it's just catastrophically over all of a sudden at the <laughs> end, you know what I mean? With yeah. no, with no major things happening. You're right. Um, You're right. But I'm I'm also thinking about you know cancer in my life and and how it's a lot of the 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 most emotionally um, important experiences that I've had have been tied to cancer mm. you know especially in family yeah um you know cause I've lost quite a few family members yeah to it. yeah and I, I think about some of that yeah and I, I think I think many many of us ha- I think most people at this point have you know like everybody kind of has a, a story about somebody they love yeah having gone through it and being there with them and then losing them you know right. Um, and in most of the cases that I can think of with family, um, uh, like it's, it's drawn people together in a really amazing way. Yeah. Like you're saying, yeah, you know, totally. it's, it's something about the, it's something about the recontextualizing of our life experience that something like cancer brings. Oh man. Because it is something that people die from. Everything's so right? much less important, you know, and we've talked about this in the context of having kids too. There's yeah. this moment where you're like the day to day, it just doesn't, you know, work stuff and that. Um, it doesn't hold the same water. It's that still it there. Mm-hmm. It's still important, but it's it's you're, it's it's something you're separate from it. You yeah, know? yeah. It's almost like you're able, like you're talking about your experience. I was I was thinking it's almost like you were kind of looking down on your life from yeah. above. You're kind of zoomed out a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and you're like, okay, like I'm I'm going to get to the end of this process. I'm going to make it there. It's going to be really bad, but like I also like I have resources at my disposal. I have family. Yeah. I have support. Um, and you're look, taking this this kind of like high up view of, of of where you're going, and we almost never do that in our lives, you know. It's we almost hard. never it's hard have to like get to a, that place out of the day to day grind. Yeah, we yeah. almost never think, you know, I'm I'm at the start because in a way it's an adventure, you know. That's right. It's a terrible one, but it is an adventure. It's 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 something that you don't have control over that's happening to you, and you're trying to find control in the midst of all of this turmoil, and you're going somewhere that you can't see yet, you know. Like yeah. you're going to come out the other yeah. end of it. As a person who is not the person going into it, you know? And I think you're actually, I hadn't expressed it this way or thought of it in these terms, but I think you're really pinpointing something that I've come away with. If there's nothing else, but there probably is, <laughs> from that experience and starting the blog, it did take me to that place and it has continued through my life, you know, not to the extent that it used to be. I used to be blogging, you know, daily and then it gradually phased out to be less and less often. And honestly, when we started this show, this episode, this podcast rather, um, that's when I was feeling this like craving, like I want to do more of that introspection because I think you're so right that it's like a rare gift, you know, for us to be able to do that if I want to frame it as a gift <laughs> in the case of cancer forcing it. But I mean, yeah, no, but we, it is so, you know, it's it, like this life that is unexplored or, um, I, I like how you put it in terms of the zooming out because the, the reality is we all have a story and that's like how we are, who we are, you know, it's, the, it's, it's like half the nature thing and it's the nurture and it's like, 
all of that, thinking of it in those terms and trying to think of your own story and how you got there, I think is so helpful. And it's almost like all of a sudden you, you're aware that a chapter began in yeah, your story and yeah. the chapter's got a title and it's cancer. Right. Right. Like yeah. this is now the part of my life with cancer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that that almost never happens, you know? Like you almost never have a, a chance to like to take a long term view of, of Yeah, where, where I guess you're right going. about that. Um and I feel like uh I, I've just I've just noticed that um you know, you were talking in the Joy episode about how um <clears throat> it's important to cry as as it is to laugh. Yeah. Like it's important to be aware of pain and to and to embrace it as something that's just as important as happiness and, and therefore joy. Yeah. Um, and I feel like maybe that's uh, if if I if something like this ever happens to me, I think I I would hope that I would remember that you know that like that that like I it's important to be present for the shit too because like it, it's part of that story that we're telling. Oh, you know? I think that was so well worded, and I I agree. I mean, I think right. just like with parenting, we've found that this, there's this expansion of emotions and of what you can actually appreciate in life. And for me, going through that experience, I think you know you come out of it and with a lot of pain, physical pain, emotional, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and yet, you know, there's all this more appreciation for the other side of that, you know. And so, uh, unfortunately, with time, you lose some of it, but um, it's helpful to reflect back. And and it's also, but it's shaped all these cascading decisions that you've made yeah. since that point. So even if it's not in your mind constantly, right. all of these decisions can be traced at various cutoff points oh, totally. to that point in your time, right? Yeah, yeah. To that choose-your-own-adventure start, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's it. That choose part, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's an adventure. Right. But uh, you choose how you... Go no, that's it, true. Way, right? Totally so, right. So there was yeah. there was choice there, I think. And, yeah. and I think you made a series of amazing choices. And I think well, that's thanks. part of why you're such a special person. I'm glad it led to this moment where I'm talking to you. It did. <laughs> so thanks, man. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll bye, talk guys. again. Bye. bye.